Hello. Hello. And welcome. This is episode 18 of Tacos and Tequila. I'm Peyton. I'm Sydney. And we have, you know, I don't even know what to say. I'm supposed to say, like, we have a good one. I say that every time. I think every, every case is a good case that we pick. Same, but I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, yeah, you know, every single time it's, we got a doozy for you. We got another I know. one. I'm going to look up similar words and start using different words besides doozy or a good one. We'll give you guys some variety. Stay tuned to what Google says next week. <laughs> it might be doozy. It might be. <laughs> um, well, I'll kind of let Sydney take the reins. I don't really have anything to start us off here. And I know this is your wild case that you picked, Sid. Yes, I was very um <laughs> excited about this one. Another random uh, Google search you find on the internet. I actually, I will preface with saying I do know this case. And I know this case because another podcast I listened to, they just covered it maybe a month or two ago. Shucks. No, it's probably like a couple months. I don't know. I work from home. Time means nothing to me. Um, (laughs) But I... uh, I was, like, reading this article that Sydney sent me, and I was like, this sounds really familiar. It's also very different doing your own research when you've listened to an episode of something in passing. You know, while I work, I listen to other podcasts, and doing this research, it made my head hurt. (laughs) I'm sure. I can't wait to hear about your headache. (laughs) I'll let you take over, though. All right. So, our case is focused around Ellen Greenberg. She was born in born in New York City and was born on June 23rd, 1983. She was an only child. In 2011, Ellen was a 27-year-old first grade teacher at, I'm going to butcher this name, Janata Park Academy. That's better than what I would have done. Well, I want. We all heard looks, me last week. It looks like Juanita, but it's not Juanita. It's Janata. I'm pretty sure because <laughs> it's missing a letter to be Juanita. But this, so she's a first grade teacher at Janata Park Academy in Philadelphia, and she's living in Philly with her fiance Samuel Goldberg. On January 22nd of 2011, there was a snowstorm that had taken over the city. Uh, Due to the snowstorm, the school where Ellen was teaching had dismissed their classes early, so she returned to her apartment much earlier than normal. Ellen was in the apartment with her fiancé, Samuel, until approximately 4.45 p.m. when Sam had then gone to the gym that was located in their apartment complex. When he finished his workout and returned to the apartment about a half hour or so later, he was locked out of the apartment. The apartment had, like, one of those hotel, like, swing bars in the inside that you could just swing over. I was going to say, I think when Morgan and I lived in Dallas, I think our apartment had something like that. Really? Or maybe, like, one of the chain ones. Okay, I think a chain one would be a little bit more. I feel like the swing bars are very, you know, hotelish. Yes. Yeah, Holiday <laughs> Inn, but whatever. So they have one of these swing bars in the inside of their apartment that had been used, and so it's locking the door. He can't open the door with just his key. Um, he had attempted to get Ellen to the door by knocking repeatedly. And got no response. So instead, he started to text her. Over the 22 minutes of text, they read, Hello, open the door. What are you doing? I'm getting pissed. Hello. You better have an excuse. 
What the fuck? Ah. And you have no idea. Which, understandably, I feel like I've definitely said all of those above items to my boyfriend before. And the door probably wasn't even locked. It was just me being drunk and not being able to get into it. (laughs) I was going to say, reading those, I was like, okay, you know, I could see most of those being frustrated, being annoyed, being like, literally, what the fuck? (laughs) I would say that. Over was There was like two, I will say. That kind of stuck out to me. Because I was like, ugh. You better have an excuse. Yes, because like... You have no idea. (laughs) Yeah. And you have no idea to me. Now I'll give you uh, (laughs) the answers from... Or the point of view of someone who previously was in an abusive relationship. To me, that sounds very like... You're going to be sorry for what you... Like this situation. And you have no idea what's coming. It gave me very heavy red flag vibes, I'll just say. Just from my personal experience. I don't know about everyone else. I know right now, I don't think Jacob would text me, you have no idea. But (laughs) uh, my personal (laughs) opinion. Which is true. I don't know. I feel like I say a lot of um, very irrational things especially when I'm mad and especially if you just had like a workout I know Peyton you said you <laughs> had a real good workout today after that workout you're ready to go home and take a shower and if you're standing in the hallway I know I would be big mad yes yes okay and I I don't want to say this and like sound like I'm crazy I feel like everyone jokingly might like threaten like oh I want to strangle you right now or whatever like You know what I mean? So I think, like, I do that jokingly. Yeah. I say that daily. (laughs) Kind of (laughs) same. But, and in fact, he jokes about it to the point now where he'll be like, oh, I bet you want to strangle me right now. (laughs) Why, yes, I do. (laughs) I don't know. That was just my opinion, like I said, from a point of view of someone who's been there. I don't know the dynamics of their relationship. I don't think anyone, unless you're, like, heavily involved in, like, living with them, no one really knows the extent of their, like, dynamic in their relationship. I just had to interject and say that. Sorry. (laughs) Fine. So, over the 22 minutes, and these are the text messages that he had sent, he still gets no response. So, finally, he comes to the conclusion that he needs to go to the security in the hotel. So, he goes down to security, basically begging them for to break the lock, or for the lock to be broken, which the security guard said was against their policy, not something that he could do. So, he forced the door open himself, and at 6.33 p.m., he had called police. He had walked in and found Ellen on the kitchen floor with a knife still stuck in her chest. She had 20 different stab wounds, 20 different stab wounds covering her body. There was a strainer filled with blueberries on the counter. And there was two kitchen knives that were clean in the sink. She was then pronounced dead at 6.40 p.m. When the police had come, they found no signs of there being any sort of intruder. Her body was in the kitchen, basically, like, leaning against the cabinets. And her legs were in front of her. And in her hands was a white towel, which was described as being, like, pristine. Like, completely white, like a bleached white towel. For someone that had gotten stabbed this many times, I thought it was kind of interesting that there's a clean white towel and that there's no blood on it, but... I'm so glad you emphasized that, because literally multiple places mention it, and I'll talk about something I read later, too, but I would, it just very clearly stuck out to me as, yes. like, a very obvious sign. Yes, like... Even if you were to just have, I mean, not to have something like that horrific happen to you, but, like, 
Okay, last summer, I cut my finger on a can. Like, opening a can, <laughs> the can bounced back at me. I had to get stitches, okay? I had to get, like, five or six stitches in my finger. So, this was, like, Ryan and I had just moved into our apartment, or, like, it was newer, so we didn't have a whole lot of stuff. So, I wrapped, like, a paper towel around my hand, and I remember grabbing things, and, like, there was blood just, like, dripping through the paper towel. Like, it was on the door. It was, like, in my car. I drove to my parents' house because I didn't know if I needed to go to the ER. My mom's like, yeah. But... <laughs> Like, anything I was touching, even though it was wrapped up, was still, like, getting bloody. So, like, if you don't have, you know, her wounds weren't wrapped, she's just sitting there. And she just has, like, oh, a white, completely white towel. It's just bizarre to me. Yeah, seemed weird to me as well. (laughs) Thanks for sharing your stitches story, though. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like that needed to be uh, somewhat in- included in there. Uh, it was like a year to date last week. I saw it on the Snapchat. So, RIP. I remember when it happened. <laughs> it was wild. <laughs> but, all right. So, her hands, she's got this white towel. There is no self defense wounds that are found on her body like on her hands or anything and there's no blood that was found beyond the kitchen so the crime scene and the scene of the incident stuck to this apartment kitchen there were cameras that were located inside the apartment complex at the main entrance naturally but there was none in the hallway leading up to their apartment there was no commotion that was heard by neighbors besides her fiance Sam banging on the door, all pissed off, trying to get in. And the only other location where they were thinking someone might have been able to get in if they didn't get through that main door would be the balcony door. Um, their apartment was located on the sixth floor. And keep in mind, it had been snowing, and the snow on that patio balcony was completely untouched. Her death was basically treated as a suicide for many different reasons. They had said that the door being locked from the inside, there was no signs of an intruder, and there was no signs of a struggle. The one thing, though, that stuck out to them was if it were to be a suicide, there's no mention of a suicide that was found on her computer when they were looking deeper into it, and there was no note that was found which are both things that are typical in dealing with these suicide-type cases, according to the Philadelphia Police Department. When the medical examiner had looked at Ellen's body, they found that there was eight wounds to her chest, a wound to the stomach, ten wounds on the back of her neck, and there were 11 different bruises that were found in various stages. I'm sorry, before we, sorry, before we even continue, I just, like, really need to emphasize this woman, police officers are treating it as a suicide, and she had 20 stab wounds. I'm not sure if anyone listening is aware of statistics on women and suicide, but I'll tell you this, there's one thing about women and suicides that pretty much never stray from it. There are obviously some anomalies here and there, but most of the time, women, when they kill themselves, they do it in a non-messy way. Mm -hmm. They're very considerate of their family members. They tend to overdose. Um, They tend to hang themselves. They tend to, even in the situation of, like, cutting themselves, it's usually, like, confined to a bathroom area. Um, So, like, you, it's very rare a woman will, like, shoot and kill herself or stab herself to death, let alone 20 times. I just had to emphasize that. (laughs) Also, that's definitely, like, overkill because, I mean, anytime you get, like, I don't know what it feels like to be stabbed, but I know anytime I've had any sort of injury, you know, where I've cut myself and had to get stitches, you know, a handful of times or 
you know, you'll fall, anything like that, like, it's painful. So to continue stabbing yourself repeatedly in these, yeah. get, like, deep wounds, uh, I don't, I mean, I guess maybe, but, like, huh? Like, you'd have to be very numb, I guess, in order for that to happen. I agree. <laughs> I don't know. So, when the medical examiner goes through his autopsy at the end of everything the manner of death that was reached was a homicide this autopsy or this information had actually gotten released or told to her family when they were at ellen's funeral her father had spoken a eulogy and he actually stated quote you may have heard that ellen killed herself but her death has now been ruled a homicide which basically the entire entire funeral and everyone that is going or that has is there is basically like what the fuck. A few months prior to Ellen's death, her demeanor had changed from who she was, and she was seeming very anxious. When her family would ask what was wrong with her, she would just say that she was very stressed about her job. Um, keep in mind she's a first grade teacher. I. I guess that could be pretty stressful, but I don't know if that's a a crazy <laughs> stressful position. Well, um, I read that one of the things, like, I guess the school district she was in had implemented, like, new regulations, mm-hmm. and she was, like, extremely stressed about that specifically. But I didn't see anything more on it, so I can't really add any further. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it's just, like, you know, the conversation she was having with her family and her friends were very vague, and she just didn't want to talk about it. I did read, though, that there was a co-worker of Ellen's at the school who did say that she did have um, some very tough students that were in her class. Um, yeah, I saw a that, too. Little asshole first graders. <laughs> so she's, she basically solidified that she seemed as stressed as some of the other teachers were. This is something that really stuck out to me, though. So, at one point, Ellen had reached out to her parents and had asked to move back home, which her parents had felt was odd because she was engaged to be married. She had a fiancé. And anytime that they would bring up, you know, is this something to do with your fiancé, it would always come back that he wasn't the problem. It had nothing to do with him. She just wanted to go back home which I found to be very interesting I just I don't know I love my parents very dearly but I feel like I would have to go through a lot of shit to want to genuinely move back with them no I agree which makes me kind of feel like there was something else going on but that's just for my opinion absolutely I don't know there even if it was something small, like, that just had started to add up to where she wasn't feeling, like, comfortable at home or comfortable in her location. I mean, her parents were in New York and she's in Philly. That's not that far, but. Yeah, so, like, a bit, home. yeah, to, like, move out of where you're living with your fiancé. And they were, their wedding, they were planning their wedding and everything for August of 2011. Mm-hmm. So it was going to be the summer, late summer of that year. Yep. Which is very interesting. Um, her parents had urged her to kind of go and meet with a psychiatrist. Um, according to the psychiatrist, she basically had said nothing but good things. And it basically just came down to her having severe anxiety and she was taking medication for it. Unfortunately, though, the medical examiner's office eventually changed its ruling from a homicide back to a suicide as they had nothing further really to go off of. And the detectives and some of the officers that were kind of a part of this case kind of disputed the original manner of death and continued to explain, you know, this is why it's a suicide. The Greenberg family had started their own own investigation as there was so many concerns about the number 
and the locations of those stab wounds. There was a blood path on her cheek that was considered to basically defy gravity. And also the fact of the amount and the depth of those stab wounds. Um, I know we kind of went into this before, but it's really quite unlikely to have that many self-inflicted stab wounds and not feel it. But it's not impossible. I had read one theory that they were saying that if she were to have hit like her spinal cord, that it would have made her like numb and she would have been able to continue and just not felt anything. But they weren't able to rule that in any of like in the autopsy that she had hit her spinal cord hard enough. But I also do feel like even if you got a little close, it might do something that medically they can't confirm. But that's just me being a... Yes, I actually have notes. All about the theories. Yeah, I have notes on like a later update in the case. But I'll let you finish what you're saying. Yes. Um, The issue though really is that really every main part of this case... You could say that it's a suicide and say, well, she stabbed herself and maybe she hit her spinal cord so she was numb. But then also, how could someone do that? Like, it has to be a homicide. So it's like you could be on either side of the fence. You could be fighting that it's a suicide and you could fight that it's a homicide for literally all of the evidence that was there, which was the issue that they were coming across Um Greenberg family, as well as those officers, it's just kind of, and the detectives and whatnot. It's just kind of like an ongoing, you know, back and forth situation. In January of 2021, which I think is uh, some stuff that Peyton's got too, Ellen's family had, (laughs) Ellen's family had announced that they wanted the case to be reopened and that they had new evidence to support the case as a homicide. What you got? So, a lot of things have actually come out since the case. First of all, I'm not sure if anyone else saw this, but in, or was aware of this case, or Sydney, you saw this, but in October 2019, the Greenberg family actually filed a civil lawsuit against the Philadelphia Medical Examiner's Office and the first pathologist that conducted the autopsy. They were trying to officially change it back to a homicide. And apparently there were two different types of wounds from knives. Some were a smooth knife and others were serrated. I'm not sure if you know anything about criminal pathology, but those leave very different marks on a body, whether it's a serrated knife or like a smooth kitchen knife that you sure. would grab from the block. They did identify the stab wounds matched. Um, for the most part, <laughs> the knife that was found in her from the block on her in her kitchen. So there was also a lot of concern, I guess, by investigators that Ellen had been searching on her computer about suicide prior to her death. So they used that to, like, point to, like, oh, well, maybe she didn't leave a note, but in the weeks leading up, she had searched about this. Well. <laughs> I did see that. Yes, you're going to say it. Uh, yeah, they found out that, well, I have a couple notes of this. First of all, the Greenbergs hired a private attorney who is a civil rights lawyer. They have a retired 25-year state police and former chief who has been working the case for free. They have other people who have literally like pathologists, things like that, who've been taking on the case for free to try and investigate and figure out what was going on because a lot of things did not make sense. One of the things that they did was they searched the computer and forensic experts determined that the searches on her computer were actually just kind of like I don't know how to describe it except like background things basically she had been searching up her anti antidepressants anti-anxiety medication that she had been given and the side effects like weight loss or weight gain tired or you know 
insomnia and those side effects that they would cause. So she had been searching with that. So a lot of times when you're searching up and like looking up antidepressants and doing that kind of stuff, you're going to have ads that pop up like talking about suicide and, you know, things like that. Like, oh, if you are feeling suicidal, you know, ways to get help, blah, 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 blah. So they determined that was all a lie. Recently also came out that the door was actually not kicked down or kicked in with the lock. Uh, it was found that only a screw had been missing on the lock and that yes. there was only some minor wood damage, but there was no screw or wood found when the police searched the house. It's not mentioned anywhere. So that's shady. Also, Sam claimed that the security guard had come up with him when he broke in the house or broke into the apartment. And mm-hmm. the security guard said, uh, no, I sat here at the desk. I was not with him. I gave him, you know, my advice and what I could and couldn't do. And then he went on his way. And he said he also thought it was really odd and it stood out because Sam was wearing boots that day when he came down to the desk. But he had just supposedly left the gym. Which oh. is like weird to me because it's the gym inside your apartment. In the apartment. So, so even you could literally change snow. and walk downstairs. Yeah, mm-hmm. you aren't walking in the snow. No. Also, Sam called two numbers before he called 911. I don't know if you saw this or not. I did not see this, but... I only got, like, halfway deep into the new stuff because oh my gosh. I feel like most most of what I was reading was, like, the same articles over and over. So, I must have missed the freaking phone number one. I've, like, thrown myself into the new stuff because I'm so stressed, Sydney, that they have not reopened this case or, like, even ruled it undetermined. It is so rare that... It is so rare that a police investigation will influence a medical medical examiner's determination from homicide to suicide. If it was like, sometimes it's undetermined. Sometimes it's, you know, based on a criminal or an investigation because it may be undetermined whether it was like clearly suicide or homicide. This was very like, this is listed in my fun facts. I read the autopsy report. I went through the four or five pages of the autopsy report. Don't recommend. It's really overwhelming. (laughs) Um, But it lists the cause of death as multiple stab wounds and then manner of death, suicide. It's just very bizarre to me. And then one of the, oh, the phone calls. Yeah. So the two numbers Sam called prior to calling 911 first of all you walk in and supposedly break down your door and then find your girlfriend or fiance dead on the floor or bleeding mm-hmm. i would be frantic supposedly oh, the 911 yeah. call that's recorded he's extremely calm and when they ask him to start doing cpr his first response was do i have to oh which like to me that's a red flag that's I'm yes. sorry. If I walk I, in on anyone that I like know, honestly, probably even just a random person, if I walk in and I think there's a chance you're alive, I don't know CPR, but I'm going to start chest compressions. We're gonna like, learn I'm going to do what I can because I don't want to be like a bystander and not do anything. Yeah, that's true. That yeah, true. but so he, the two numbers he called before he called 911, the first was his parents. And then the second was his uncle, who was an attorney. And they were actually already on the way to the scene before emergency services even were. I did see that his uh, family was, like, a very, uh, you know, well-known in the community. They were, like, all sorts of business people and whatnot, too. So... Yeah, they were extremely uh, involved in the community and had a lot of interesting connections yes which is apparently also within 24 hours of this all sam's uncle and cousin returned to the crime scene and they took ellen's laptop sam's laptop ellen's work laptop and phone from the scene before the police ever retrieved it which to me is uh all the red flags just went up yes 75 red flags Yes. 
a hundred percent. That guy just like I don't know what else to say besides yes, because that's fucking mind blowing to me that that's not suspicious to other people. Like the there's, there's a lot of things. Yes, the police and like state investigators have been refusing to hand over the file on Ellen's death. So like that's part of what Ellen's family has been fighting for. They had to pay for the autopsy report, crime scene photos, and, like, the police report and things like that. And they paid for all of that. They're trying to get their hands on the actual footage because they have private investigators that are trying to look into this now. Which is wild. Yeah. Another shady police department. Oh, so the one thing that we talked about was whether the stab wounds could have been made or, like, the injury to the neck and stuff like that. The police claimed that they had sent this information to a neuropathologist. And so the neuropathologist told the police that the spinal cord was hit but not severed. They concluded Mm -hmm. that this caused Ellen to go numb And it makes the idea of her stabbing herself a little more believable because she wouldn't, like, lose feeling or anything like that. And so that was a big part of it. However, when her parents purchased the autopsy reports and photos, crime scene photos, and, like, everything from the medical examiner, they sent all of this to a forensic pathologist named Cyril West. Cyril literally told her her parents, like, he was shocked that she had so many stab wounds, especially specifically to the neck. And after looking over all the reports and photographs, he told her parents he does not comprehend how it was ruled suicide. And he believes it should be a homicide, but they refused, the detectives refused to hand over a copy of their files for this forensic pathologist to go any further. Which is just, I can't even, okay, so, like, right now, I am trying to reach my back. Like, reach reach your back right now, Peyton, and try to make, like, a movement like you are hitting yourself or, like, stabbing yourself. Like, it's kind of hard. Like It's, like, a little, it's very. Even if you go from, like, the side, like, it's still, like, an awkward position. It would make more sense if, like, all of your wounds were, like, on your arm or, like, on your leg. Like, a body part that's in front of you. I agree. And so, I have a couple more things. I guess one of the crime scene photos shows a stream of blood running down Ellen's cheek horizontally from her nose to, like, her ear. Well, if she was sitting up when she was found, so that clearly says someone moved her. You know yes. what I mean? In my opinion, it's very obvious that someone moved her because if it was, it was going like from way... her nose to her ear, then it, she's bleeding from her nose. It's going towards the ground. She's laying on her left side. Mm-hmm. And so I guess when the homicide prosecutor in 2015 reviewed the case and he couldn't find this neuropathologist report, so he requested one from the police and the medical examiner. They responded saying it couldn't be found or that it was lost and it, or even that it didn't exist. He did some research and found out that there wasn't even a neuropathologist on staff at the medical examiner's office at the time of Ellen's death. And there was no request in the file to ever have someone look at the spinal column like they claimed they'd had. So there's no actually answer whether the stab wounds to the base of her neck damaged or severed her spinal cord, which would say, so the final blow was to her chest. That's what killed her, supposedly. Mm-hmm. But if she were to have severed her spinal cord, she would have never been able to make that. Well, yeah. a retired police detective, his name's Tom Brennan. He was like the 25-year former police chief and retired state trooper. He found a piece that he found out that there's a piece of Ellen's spinal cord saved at the medical examiner's office. And so he had another forensic pathologist examine it. This pathologist concluded that one of the stab wounds penetrated Ellen's cranial cavity 
and severed the cranial nerves and brain, which would mean she would have experienced severe pain. She would have been yeah. severely impaired and probably Ugh. have lost consciousness at that point. Which means that There's she would have no if she lost way. consciousness, she would not have been able to make that final stab. And he said he felt that there was also signs of strangulation. <laughs> it's just very it's so fucked. And yes. even if you don't look at it like that in depth it still is like who the fuck stabs himself like that like what is the amount of suicidal stabbings probably not a lot i don't know i also want to say because i think that pieces of this are very interesting okay so four days i mean after ellen's death her save the dates had arrived basically to everyone. They had been mailed prior to her death and were sent out to all of her family members. And it's considered to be like they were looking at as like a communication from her from beyond the grave that these save the dates had come out after she had already passed, which yeah. literally gave, gave me chills because that stuff freaks me out. Yeah, I thought, well, and everyone says, like, oh, I think one of the big tellers is when someone's, like, planning ahead still. Mm-hmm. And I think she was still planning ahead. Also, I spoke incorrectly earlier, so I just want to correct myself now. Among females, the most fo- common methods of suicide are firearms, poisoning, and suffocation poison but females committing suicide by firearm is 31 percent poisoning is 30 and suffocation 29 so they're all pretty even um with men suicide by firearm is 55 and a half percent and suffocation's 28 and a half percent so there are other ones but i don't i don't see any stats on it's interesting, though. I mean, who would have thought that that's the way people go out? Poison. I agree. But I'm guessing poisoning also has to do with, like, overdose. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, they're not, like, I mean, maybe, but I don't think they're just taking, like, antifreeze to the head, but. I mean, maybe. It's probably some of them. But, so where's Goldberg now? Um, He lives in New York City with his wife. His wife? Yes. And he has kids. He does have a criminal record. And some of the things that I saw were on his criminal record are um, providing liquor to minors. And a landlord who had evicted and attempted nine civil judgments against him. Which isn't really a criminal, but... Nine civil judgments is a lot. That is a lot. Good luck <laughs> that, getting a mortgage. Literally. <laughs> um, yes. So I found that interesting. Um, I know he was, which I don't think I really touched on before, but he was like a TV producer, quote, Yeah, I saw he was a producer for NBC. Yep. So he is, you know, uh, there was a lot of pictures, you know, just Googling him and whatnot. Um, doing, like, big golf outings, and, you know, he's a big name out there, which is pretty interesting. Well, that's really all I have, but... I know, I was looking on more stats. Um, oh, this was one of the things I looked up to, sorry, just to go before we wrap this up. Uh, it's basically talks about who determines the cause and manner of death and it is determined by obviously the medical examiner if you are a family member you're entitled to all the autopsy records and then after you get those records if you're not happy with it and discussing it you would hire a pathologist and then from there you can dispute it however 
it's very, very, like, I'm literally reading this over. Like, it doesn't mention anything about police or detectives. And every episode, I got to bring it back home to where it all started for me, guys. Law and Order SVU. If any of you have ever watched it and you know when Melinda Warner is in there doing an autopsy, she's like, I'm going to rule the manner of death. Whatever. And they'll be like, come on, Melinda, can't you give me something? She'll be like, I can't change this. This is why medical, like, you aren't trying to influence me. And she calls them out <laughs> on the check because that's not their job. She uses the term cuppy, and but it's basically um, undetermined and it's like based on police investigation. And when she uses that, sometimes they get really mad because they're like, you can't give me anything. She's like, I'm not going to make, like, a determination if I don't have all the facts, and I don't. So I think that's a big deal that they literally changed it because of the police. That's it. Yeah. Everyone else, any other independent pathologists who have looked this over are like, what the fuck? Yeah. Sorry. I'm just really, this is why it gives me such a headache because it's so mind blowing. With 20 plus stab wounds, they ruled this a, a suicide and will not reopen the investigation. I'm done. I'm sorry. That's the last I had to say. <laughs> End rant. It's, End I, don't, rant. I mean, this just goes to show anything is possible, people. You might get screwed, which is just terrible. I can't imagine, you know, being a part of her family and going through this and having to live day by day trying to solve, you know, your daughter or your cousin or whatever, your friend's murder, suicide, murder that they decided was a suicide and not to know what actually happened to your loved one is very. Yes. Very, very, very sad. I agree. Very sad. Did I say very sad? It's very sad. You did. <laughs> Just checking. Yeah, no, I feel for her parents who are still, like, working very hard, you know, 10 years later to still have her name cleared. Mm -hmm. It just, it says a lot about who she was as a person and what they believe if still they are trying to get this resolved. Yep, and that's just you know, they, they know that deep down this isn't something that she would have done. Also, that it just doesn't make sense. Correct. All right, that's all I have. <laughs> okay. Well, do you want to do true crime trivia or a joke or a fact first? What do you want? I don't care. I got a it's, joke. I got a fact. It's up to you. What was your case? You tell me how you want this to go. No, usually I ask you and say, do you want to hear a joke or a fact? And now we have true crime trivia. Okay, we'll leave trivia at the end. Hit me That's with fine. a joke. What do you call an animal covered in a tortilla? What? A taco dial. <laughs> 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 I like that, that one. one. That one really stuck out to me. I was dying when I read it. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> oh man! All right, <laughs> and I got a fact. Okay, sweet. So tequila comes from agave plants, specifically blue agave. Um, which blue agave plants can take up to 12 years to actually harvest. And in that time, they can grow up to seven feet tall. Really? Apparently. I feel like we talked about this before. And I always just pictured agave plants like an aloe plant. Uh, yeah, and we did we did have another... I had something else about agave. And I remember, I feel like we kind of mentioned about... Was it last week? Well, last week we talked about the law about 75% agave. Is it 75? Yes. Yes, it was something like that. Hold on. Let me. Give I thought me I had number. it. <laughs> you I'm know more than me. I'm proud of myself for remembering. 
apparently I didn't even write it down, so. (laughs) (laughs) I might have pulled it out of my ass because it's not written down. (laughs) Okay, well, I guess please don't fact check us. Uh, Just kidding. We do our research, people. We provide sources. We we do (laughs) not on the taco and tequila facts. (laughs) We do provide sources. They might be half true. They might be half false because Sydney doesn't know where she got that one because all the other ones are written (laughs) down and that one's not there. So, woo. Well, that was pretty interesting. I'm going to Google what an agave plant looks like after this. 18 episodes, it finally took me to <laughs> look it up. Yeah, because this is not the first time we've talked about agave. I know. Sure. <laughs> I still, it's definitely like a little succulent. Yeah, that's exactly what I think of. But a I just seven, seven foot succulent. It's big. Well, I guess there's like cacti out there that get giant. That's true. That is very true. Okay, so last week I asked the question, this punk rock star stabbed his girlfriend to death in Greenwich Village, New York in 1978. Joey Ramone, Henry Rollins, Sid Vicious, or John Johnny Rotten Leiden? Sydney, do you know the answer? Uh... I'm so upset if you really don't know this answer. Sid Vicious. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, my cat is named Sid Vicious. No, it's not like a weird serial killer like obsession. It was just I felt like he had a punk rock kind of attitude and he's a very feisty cat. So <laughs> I felt like it was fitting. <laughs> my parents call me Sid Vicious. <laughs> it's actually rather unfortunate. I don't <laughs> love it. In case you cared. When my mom set up my lab, my laptop, she uh, named it Sid Vicious or whatever. So when I log into my laptop, it literally says Sid Vicious. And I just never change it. <laughs> At least you have, like, a built-in nickname. Apparently. I don't have very many nicknames, so. Um, we did, this week, we did a special guest appearance with a story time with mom and me. So, if you're trying to get a double filling of Peyton and Sydney this week, you should go check out that episode and hear about our drunk story, peeps. Yes, it was fun. Highly recommend. And it was a really good episode. They they were great. We had a, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun, too. I was surprised. We were, we were a little concerned that we weren't going to have as much fun as we did, I think. <laughs> and we had a blast. We definitely have I just a, a have fr- such bad social anxiety and like doing new stuff and like I literally texted Sydney afterwards like oh that wasn't bad at all I was gonna have a panic attack and thought I was gonna throw up beforehand I freaked out for no reason <laughs> and then I was like well I'm pretty sure I was that way with like our first two episodes too before we recorded so that's true we've we've now been decided like what I can't speak at all we've now become comfortable with each other so like our podcast is fine but to go on someone else's podcast and be like hi this is who we are I feel like was definitely um a little intimidating we did did, I was gonna say we did I did a poor job of explaining (laughs) who and what we are hopefully people still come check us out and hopefully our story is entertaining and I know uh those ladies definitely were a blast. Yes, they were. Before we go, folks, um, well, actually, do we want to do a trivia question to ask this yeah, week, or do we want to wait? We can do one if you have one. I have one. I did a bunch of research and came up with a bunch of trivia questions, so I'm prepared for the next, like, three months. Cool. <laughs> Let's do it then. So, this week's trivia question This cryptid is interesting because it is described as a very large man-wolf creature and is known to be America's most famous werewolf. I know. (laughs) The options are A, the Michigan Dog Man, B, the Beast of Bray Road, C, 
see the Tudor Lane werewolf. Ooh. Or D, the Gennard Highway Horror. Oof. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so cast check your out social media, cast your votes, and tune in next week for the final answer. Yes. Um, also our website is live, folks. Check it out, tacos and It's cool. You it's can cool. see all our episode information. You can see pictures of Sydney and I when we were little kids. <laughs> it just felt right to post that. Agreed. <laughs> it just felt right. That's who I am. This is really who I am. Go check out my pick. <laughs> Same though. <laughs> Um, you can also find us on Facebook at Tacos and Tequila Podcast. On Instagram at Tacos and Tequila. Also you... keep oh, go ahead. I was gonna say also keep <laughs> the reviews coming. We got a yes. new review this week. <laughs> that bald headed bad boy. Hey. <laughs> if you are listening, you know. <laughs> If you don't know, now you know. <laughs> um, yeah, keep the reviews coming. Thank you. We appreciate you guys. And like we've been saying, we have a lot of fun things in the works. So you should be seeing and we have, well, we'll be having more fun things to tell you as it comes. Uh, keep, I guess time keeps going. I don't know how to speak today. <laughs> no, I feel like this is all around like a not a good speaking day. I don't can't explain what I want to say. But Same. You you can slide in my DMs and tell me what I want to say. Facts. <laughs> Give me a good case to look into. I know I've had some um people. Well, no, it was like two. Tell me some more cases, and I want to hear more. Uh, they're all getting added to my list, and they all will be done at some point. Or just give me something to look into. Or just tell me Yeah. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, any morbid tourism weird stuff you guys see, we mm-hmm. want to know about it. Also, Anything. we probably will plan a trip there. So, like, please tell us. <laughs> Literally anything that crosses your mind, let me know. <laughs> well, thanks for giving us a listen this week, guys. And that's it for me. So, I guess we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.